you have your Bibles, grab them and go with me to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah in chapter number three this morning. Nehemiah in chapter three. And if you found your place and if you're willing and able, stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's word. Nehemiah chapter three. And we're going to hang out in just one verse this morning. We're going to look at the entire text, but we'll read one verse just to jump into this chapter. Nehemiah chapter three. We come to Nehemiah chapter 3, and you will probably very quickly realize that Nehemiah chapter 3 is one of those chapters in the Bible that appears to consist of largely unpronounceable names. This is one of those chapters that you come to in your Bible reading schedule, and you get very discouraged when you get to it. I was reading through a commentary on the book of Nehemiah. We're preaching through Nehemiah on Wednesday nights at First Baptist, and several commentaries we're using in order to help prepare the sermons. One of the books written by uh, a, a very well-known pastor, entire book on the book of Nehemiah, and he completely skipped chapter number three. How can you write a commentary on the book of Nehemiah and skip out on this chapter? It just serves the, the purpose, right? That there are passages in the Bible that for you and me do not strike us as interesting. All of the Bible is the inspired word of God. And you come to passages like this and it falls to you and me on deaf ears we say things like, why would God have recorded this? Why would God write all these names down over and over and over again? And we're going to, with the Lord's help this morning, hopefully answer that question. Now look with me in Nehemiah chapter 3, look at verse 28. The Bible reads, From above the horse gate repaired the priest, everyone over against his house. From above the horse gate repaired the priest, everyone over against his house. Now, Father, use your word in our lives. Build us, shape us, fashion us with your word. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. What is it and why is it that God would call for Nehemiah to record a, a chapter like this, telling us where the gates were being recorded or being repaired, recording for us the names of those which were doing the repairing. And here's why, because ordinary people can accomplish extraordinary things when they work for the glory of an extraordinary God. Do you know why God uses ordinary people? Because that is all there is in this world. Amen. We're, we're all sinners. Come short of the glory of God. There are no extraordinary people. There are ordinary people who have set themselves to do an extraordinary work because they are intentional in working for the glory of an extraordinary God. Paul says it this way, that we have a treasure in earthen vessel. But do not miss the point that Paul is making in that passage. We are an earthen vessel. That's all we are. 
We're jars of clay. We're dirt. The special thing about you and me, the awesome thing about you and me is not you and me. It is God in us. That is the hope of glory. And we are to yield ourselves to his work and we are to give ourselves to his work and we are to work for the glory of his name. But we should not confuse the glory of his name with the glory of our own name. And here is this entire chapter of ordinary folks. One commentator says it this way, that God is a great believer in putting down people's names. It reminds us that God sees our work. God knows our work and God will not forget the work that you and I have done. God takes really good records. He is recording for us the work that has that is being accomplished here. You remind yourself about what's happening in the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah has been called by God. He has been given a vision from God to repair the walls at Jerusalem. He is commissioned by God. He is sent by King Artaxerxes. He's returned now to the city of Jerusalem and they have set themselves to do this work. And when they have set themselves to do this work, it is not without enemies without the walls and it is not without conflict inside of the wall. And yet Nehemiah has set himself and he is leading this charge of ordinary men and women who are doing an extraordinary work. Why? Because they are working for the glory of an extraordinary God. And what we are seeing from these men and women as they work is that their work has an impact and an influence right where they live. Look at verse 28. Everyone over against his house. You see, the way that they influenced the city of Jerusalem is a direct result of individuals who were working right where they lived. And this is the whole message. It is simple and yet it is significant. That it is said over and over of the people in this chapter that they are conducting repairs in front of their own home. That the people of God make the greatest impact in their cities right where they live by being committed to the cause of the gospel, the cause of Christ, the glory of God in front of their own homes. And this is what I am challenging you and challenging myself with this morning. Are we committed to make an impact and an influence for the cause of Christ right where we live. With our own families, in our own neighborhoods, across our own streets, with the cashier or the waiter that will help us this afternoon. Are we committed to make the greatest impact right there? And someone will immediately point out, well, the verse says that it was the priest who did these repairs. And I would be quick to remind you that 1 Peter chapter number 2, the Apostle Peter tells us that we as believers are a royal priesthood unto God. 
Revelation chapter 5 says that it is God who has prepared us a kingdom and priest who will worship and serve the living God. And we believe that the Bible teaches in the priesthood of the believer that this is a responsibility that is given to you and to me right here in the day and age in which we live, in the culture in which we face, in the society in which we stand, that we can, if we work for the glory of an extraordinary God, we can make a great impact and an influence. So just how is it then that they make this impact and influence in Nehemiah chapter 3? Well, I think it's at least three ways. Notice first, they are in tune with the purpose. They are in tune with the purpose. And if we had been able to go around to the homes of these individuals, and if we were able to ask them, what exactly is it that you are doing here? What is your purpose? What is your mission? What are you trying to accomplish? I think it would be very clear that they would have been able to answer unequivocally, we are doing the work of God by repairing these walls. That God's name had been drugged through the mud. The wall was symbolic of all that God had intended to do and all that God had intended to give to the children of Israel. The walls said the, had the symbol that God is a God of might and a God of strength and a God of power and a God of glory. That God had promised to Abraham a land and a city, an inheritance which he was not his own but was given to him from God. That God had delivered the children of Israel from Egypt. God had led them to Israel. God had established this city and God had, had called his people to walk obediently before him. And yet because of their sin. They refused to listen to the prophets that God had sent to them time and time again. They were led away into captivity. The wall was destroyed. God's name was drugged through the mud. God's glory was, was embarrassed in front of the heathen. Even Nehemiah himself, a captive in a foreign land, a cupbearer to a pagan king. And yet God had said, I will not forget my covenant. I will return my glory to my people when you walk obediently before me we should be reminded of this that sin always leads us into captivity sin always destroys the glory and good name of our God and yet these men and women working in Jerusalem on the direction of Nehemiah and under the guidance of the prophet Ezra they are working in tune with the purpose they are doing the good work of God you can find it in chapter 3, look at verse number 10. And next to him repaired Jedediah, even over against his house. You can find it even verse number 23. Look down in verse number 23. And next and after him repaired Benjamin and Hashib over against his house. And you'll find it all the way through the text, over against his house. They're doing their work right where they live. They are engaged in the work of God. I love verse number 12. It says, and next to him repaired Shalom, the ruler of half part of Jerusalem, he and his daughters. I love the idea being given to us from Nehemiah there, that there is Shalom swinging his hammers and his daughters are right there next to them. 
An important truth emerges in this as it relates to God's design for ministry that God has, God has placed us strategically right where he wants us to be. In your neighborhood, in your office, in your home. That is where your ministry should be. He has put you there in order that you might testify for him. If we'd have gone around the inside of Jerusalem and asked them, what are you doing here? They would have said, we're doing the work of God. And what's also interesting, if we would have gone outside of the walls of Jerusalem and we would have asked the enemies of Nehemiah, Sambal and Tobiah particularly, and we would have asked them, what are they doing inside of those walls of Jerusalem? They would have been able to give you the answer. They're building the wall. They're repairing the gates. They're hanging the hinges. They're mounting the doors. They are doing a work. Now let us assume for a moment that we could go outside the walls of the church. I wonder if we could ask the people in and around the communities of our churches, what is, what is the purpose of the church? What are they here for? We would get a list of answers as diverse as the day is long. Even if, even if we went inside of the church, how many church members could articulate the purpose for which we are here? Even amongst ourselves. Can you articulate the purpose for why God has left you here? Why God has placed you here? Do you see your placement in this time, in this age, in this culture, in this society, in this year? Do you see it as, as purposeful, as meaningful, as impactful? What is the reason why God has left you? What is the reason, the purpose for which God has called you? What is the purpose for which God has built you or wired you or created you? Are you in step with the purpose? I will remind you very simply, one of the purposes for which God has given to all of us, find your place in Matthew chapter number four. In Matthew chapter number four, we're given the story of where Jesus is calling his disciples to come after him. And you'll find in verse number 17 of Matthew chapter four, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so what is Jesus saying his purpose is? It's clear as a bell. His purpose is that they would become fisher of men that they would go after lost souls, that they would follow Jesus, and in following Jesus, they would reach the lost for him. Amen. And don't let people tell you for a second, well, the reason Jesus said that to Peter and Andrew and James and John is because they were fishermen. And he was using language that just related with their life's work. As if when Jesus found Levi, the tax collector, otherwise known as Matthew, as if Jesus said to him, follow me and I will make you a tax collector of men. He did not say that to him. No, no, you're giving a clear purpose. 
Jesus is saying, I am calling you to be someone who catches people for Christ. And this is the overarching purpose for why we are here, to be after the souls of men. Did you know this, that we will we will worship in heaven far better than we do here? Did you know we will we will fellowship in heaven far greater in, in a in a more intimate way than we can possibly ever fellowship here? Did you know we will sing better in heaven than we could ever sing here? Never off key. That's hard for some of us to imagine, but it is true. But do you know what we will not do in heaven? We will not evangelize in heaven. This is what God has given us the purpose to do here, now, in this world, in this culture, in this time, in this society, to reach the lost for him. You find it again, Matthew chapter number nine. Look at it with me, Matthew chapter nine. Look at verse number 37, verse number 38. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, and he will send forth laborers into his harvest. These are verses that get used at mission conference times. But can I tell you, these are not oversee verses. These are over the table verses. These are over the counter verses. These are across the street verses. When we are in tune with the purposes of God, we will see people the way in which God sees them and he sees them lost and separated from him and, 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 and deceived by their sin and running in rebellion against him. And God has placed you here in this time, in this culture for this reason, of reaching the lost for him. If we're going to make an impact, if we're going to make an influence, we must be in tune with the purposes. And God's purpose for you and God's purpose for me is that we would reach the lost. But I want to show you a second thing here, and that is this. That we must be in step with the program. We should be in step with the program. When we read through Nehemiah chapter 3, we, we should not think of it as each person was only worried about their little section of the wall. The Bible helps us to understand that they are repairing the section of the wall that is in front of their house, but they are repairing the section of the wall in front of their house, which joined to a section of the wall in front of someone else's house over against someone else's home. In fact, if you read through this, this chapter, you'll find the phrase more than 20 times, and next to him worked so-and-so. And next to him worked so-and-so. And next to him worked so-and-so. And next to them worked others. And the idea here is that people are working together. They're not, they're, not, they're not simply working in the same place. They're not simply doing the same thing. The idea is that they are working in cooperation. So while they are working in front of their own home, they are also working mindfully of the person who is working next to them. 
men and women, princes and commoners, they all labor side by side. Read through the text. They all labor side by side, each one of them focusing on the task that God has given to them, but working on the task that God has given to them with an understanding of who is working next to them. Look at verse number 24 of the text. And repaired Benui, the son of Hanadad, another piece from the house of Azariah unto the turning of the wall, even unto the corner. So you're understanding what's happening here. He, he's not just... He's not just doing his own thing. He is working on his section of the wall and he is working on his section of the wall in which it comes to a corner. It turned and then it ran up the hill. And he's working on this section of the wall and he's mindful of the angles and the corners and the precision that is necessary in order to complete the task that God has given him to do. And let me just say this, we need to guard against the idea that we are the only one who gets it right all the time and everyone else gets it wrong. We must guard against the idea that we are the only ones who are doing a work for God. No, what we are seeing in Nehemiah chapter 3 is that as individuals who are in tune with the purpose of God, we are a small part of what God is doing. And listen, friend, God is doing all kinds of things in this world through all kinds of people in our, all kinds of ways. And our responsibility is to work up to the point that God has set for us to work. That is what our God-given responsibility is. Our job is to set to it, to complete the task, to run the race, to use Paul's language, to fight the fight that God has given to us and to do so in a way that those who come behind us can follow in the footsteps that we have laid for them, that they can add to the foundation that has already been built you read through this chapter, not everyone is performing the same work. Not everyone is doing the same job. Not everyone has the same task. No, they're all working according to the way in which God has given to them. They are doing some very different work on very different sections of the wall. But listen, it is serving the same overarching goal, which is what? Repairing the wall. Repairing the wall. You'll, you'll remember when John and Peter are walking beside Jesus and Jesus tells to Peter, you're going to suffer, you're going to die for me, you're going to preach my name, and then your end, Peter, is going to be very bad. And Peter hears this from Jesus and he starts to look around and he starts to think, well, if I'm going to die like that, well, then what's John going to do? How, how is he going to die? Is it going to be miserable as well? And Jesus says, you know why he asked that? He asked that because misery loves company, right? And Jesus says, answer back to Peter, and I love the answer. What's that to you? Why is that any of your business? No, Peter, I've given you a task. I've given you a purpose. I've given you a calling. This is what I have for you. Don't worry about what's going to happen with him. 
Now see to it that you are doing the task that God has given to you. And I would encourage you as a young adult starting off in ministry, see to it that you have set yourself to do the task that God has called you to do. Our generation is a generation plagued with always wanting to know what everyone else is doing, how everyone else is going about it, what everyone else, every other program everyone else has. And we're, we're, in, we're enraptured with finding some new program, some new idea, some new thing. And we've, we've given up on just the hard work of rolling our sleeves up and doing what is right in front of us to do. Just do the task God has called you to do. He will take care of everything else. Have you learned this already? God is really good at being God. Like he's been doing it for a very long time. And he doesn't need you and me to help him. He doesn't need our advice. He doesn't need our counsel. He doesn't even need our opinions. My wife says it like this, everyone has opinions. Opinions are like armpits, she says. Everyone has a couple and most of them stink. (laughs) No, no, no. If we want to do what God has called us to do in repairing the wall and fulfilling the purpose that God has given us to do, we must be in step with the program. We must be in tune with the purpose. Let me give you this last one and we'll get out of here. We must be in touch with people. You see, there are churches that are programmed to the max. There are people who know the purposes forward and backward, but they never make an impact in the culture for Christ because they are not in touch with people. It's, it's my four and no more. It's, it's just like this, this whole idea of just living on this island. What is the great criticism of Jesus? In fact, perhaps the greatest criticism of Jesus is found in Matthew chapter 11. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. The incarnate son of God is, is criticized for this more than anything else in the Gospels. That according to the religious people of his day, he was hanging out with the wrong crowd And it wasn't just that he was acquainted with them. It was that, in fact, he was their friend. And I will remind you this. Jesus is not just hanging out with tax collectors and sinners by a way of affirming them. No, when Jesus is hanging out with them, he is doing what Matthew already told us. He is calling them to repentance. That is what he is calling them to do. And yet the criticism of Jesus is that he is sitting there and he is is their friend. He is eating meals with them as their friend. But it is showing us about what Jesus is accomplishing. And that is this, that he is in touch with the people around him. Are you, am I, in touch with the people around us? You realize that there are no accidental people in your life? Nobody comes across your path by accident. God leads them through divine appointment your way. 
There are no accidental friends. There's no accidental waiters. There's no accidental cashiers. God leads people your way. And his intention is that you would influence and impact them for the cause of Christ and for the glory of God. Are we in touch with people? You see, friend, I don't, I don't live on your street. I don't work in your office. I've never met your uncle, your sister, your classmate. But God has strategically placed you there. And God has placed you there for this purpose. And so we must get in touch with the people that God has placed us around. When is the last time you've opened God's word and shared the gospel with someone? Right where you live. It can be easy to fall in love with this idea that one day when we get out there in ministry, then we'll do these things. No, no, no. Nehemiah 3 is showing us ordinary people can accomplish an extraordinary work when they work for the glory of an extraordinary God. Listen. Right where they live. Right where you are today. What's your purpose? Are you in step with the program? Are you in touch with people? The harvest field is plenteous. It's the laborers that's few. So pray. Pray for laborers. Pray for those who understand their purpose. Pray for those who are in step with the program. And pray for those who will love the people that God has placed in and around them.